Hey everybody, Magnus here. Look, uh, just a quick note for you guys before we get into this. Uh, technically what I'm supposed to be talking about right now is weird stuff. This is technically the seventh episode of the cycle that I'm going through right now. So if we go strictly by the letter of the rules, what I'm supposed to be talking about is weird stuff, as I say. But unfortunately for me and for you and for everybody, here once again, Chris Honeywell and I just couldn't get our schedules lined up. Now, going forward, what I'm hoping is that it won't be such a big problem, you know? What I'm hoping for is that because of some changes that are happening on my side, I'm, I'm going to be better able to accommodate uh, Chris. And, you know, here again, this isn't uh, a, a conflict or something like that where one of us is being a jerk and isn't cooperating with the other one. No, it's just life stuff, guys. I mean, I've up to this point, I've had a pretty weird and goofy schedule, and it just didn't really work out so well with, with Chris's schedule, right? So it's not that one of us is the good guy and the other one's the bad guy or anything like that. It's just it's just the hand that we've been dealt, right? So that's basically what happened. So as I say, technically what you're supposed to be hearing in this episode is me and Honeywell talk about weird stuff, but that's not what you're going to be hearing in this episode. <clears throat> What you're actually going to be hearing is me do audio commentary for the Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode called You're the Zeppo, right? Or sorry, it's called just The Zeppo. My apologies. The name of this episode is You're the Zeppo, but the name of the Buffy episode that I'm going to be talking about is called simply The Zeppo. So anyway, uh, this maybe is going to catch some of you off guard because I never actually... Uh, announced what this episode was going to be, you know? So, honestly, it could have been anything, and what I realized is my episode about uh, uh, the Zeppo, it, I didn't really have, like, a specific release date in mind, and so it was there, it was basically finished and ready to go, and it was just kind of sitting on my hard drive gathering dust, so to speak, and so... Well, now you get to hear it. So, anyway, I think that's pretty much it for me. I'm going to go ahead and shut up, and I'm going to pass the baton over to, well, me. And I'm going to talk about the Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode, The Zeppo. Now, enjoy the rest of the episode. The episode is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 3, Episode 13, entitled... The Zeppo. Directed by James Whitmore. Written by Dan Weber. Original air date is January the 26th, 1999. And summary is as follows. Xander tries to be cool and hangs out with Jack O'Toole, who goes on to resurrect three of his former buddies. Xander soon realizes that they're all up to something deadly and attempts to hide. Meanwhile, the others need to prevent the sisterhood of Xi from reopening the Hellmouth. The commentary starts in four, three, two, one. And here we go. So basically, this is. I can't speak for anybody else, but this is my favorite season of Buffy season three and the reason for that is because there's a 
a clearer sense of identity that season three has that I think is actually kind of absent from the first season, which is a little bit of a slog to get through. Not saying it's bad, it's just... There's a quality to season one that I've just never really been able to get my head around. And I'm apparently not the only one out there, because a lot of people regard season one as... It's interesting, but it's n nowhere near the best that... Buffy has to offer. You know, Buffy as a TV show has to offer. Season 2 is good, but it's just not as well balanced as Season 3. But Season 3, number one, there are a couple of different villains going on here. And I think really just more than anything, I don't think that Buffy as a show was as entertaining or powerful after high school. I don't think this show ever really recovered from the gang graduating from high school, you know? And none of that stuff is really a problem in season three. And then there's the fact that Eliza Dushku was fucking hot. So, yeah. All of that pretty well explains why I at least like season three the best. Why I'm choosing to talk about the Zeppo is... Xander is really the ultimate beta male in fiction as far as I can tell or at least more recent fiction you know and like the tele what one might call the modern age of television assuming 1999 even qualifies as modern anymore but assuming that it does you know Xander is pretty much the definitive beta male you know he's nobody's hero he's nobody's favorite character on this show it's not that he's unliked but there are just other and more interesting characters on the show. And I think the sequence we're going through right now is a pretty good example. Everybody contributed something to this fight, except for Xander, and he ended up getting trapped under rubble. So, what exactly is it that, Sa that Xander brings to the team that nobody else does? And that's what this episode kind of plays with. I don't know is it necessarily answers that. I think maybe that goes unanswered for, until arguably the very end of the very end of the series. But at the outs... Oh, and I just... I like this theme song. Just go ahead and listen to it. So, here we are. And, like I say, I don't know if this episode necessarily answers that question. You know, what is it that Xander brings to the team that can't be had anywhere else? There's a very strong argument that that doesn't actually really get answered until practically the end of the show's run. 
but at least from the outset, you know... Actually, you know, before I even get too much further with this, what I probably need to say is that I never watched Buffy when it was on TV, you know? Doug's arm is kind of like spaghetti. We're also very sad. It's kind of hard to explain why. I mean, even less so than now. I just didn't really watch a whole lot of TV when I was a kid. You know, when I was in school and whatnot. The other thing was... It may be easy to forget about now. <clears throat> it may be easy to forget about now. But... This show was so... Fucking incredibly... Talked up. By... By its fans. You know? Every day. You know how like... I'm not saying this is true of every single Doctor Who fan out there, but you know how, like, there are Doctor Who fans, and that's one group, and then there's the other and more annoying group, they're like the the Doctor Who evangelists. Well, Buffy had evangelists, you know, way back when, and it just kind of got tiresome to listen to all the time so anyway that um, along with the fact that I just really wasn't a big TV guy especially when I was a teenager pretty much meant that I didn't watch that I didn't watch um, uh, Buffy and so I guess you know one kind of weird outcome for that is that I didn't really see Allison Hannigan or Charisma Carpenter didn't really know their work until they made guest appearances on Veronica Mars that was really my first exposure to them, so sort of came to this thing sort of backwards. Anyway, I want to say it was probably starting around like 2008 or something like that. I'm pretty sure is when I decided, you know what, fuck it, you know. I just got this wild hair up my ass. I just wanted to watch Buffy. And like I say, that first season is a little bit of a slog. There's um, a formula, there's a method to writing this type of TV show. And there's a very strong argument that Buffy, as a show, sort of created that. It didn't really exist before Buffy, but now it's a pretty well-accepted thing, you know? And really, this is where it all started. Now, a lot of people would say X-Files is actually where it started. Look, I don't know. I don't fucking care. The point is, Buffy was the first time I ever saw it, so here you go. And the, uh, like I say, the first season, it's a little bit uneven. It's kind of, I'm not going to say it's like pulling teeth to get through, but I'll put it to you this way. If that first season had been a full-length season, if it had gone all 22 episodes instead of being like only the 12 or 13 episodes that it is, I don't know that I would have bothered finishing, you know? But it's 13 episodes. Anybody can make it through that. And so I did. It was, like I say, it was average. The second season was a lot better. And I think at least, uh, for me, a major part of that was actually... <laughs> of all things, it was Miss Calendar. You know, I just, then and now, I just thought Miss Calendar is just really fucking hot. So, you know, she sort of has that, it, it's weird, because when I first started, when I first actually watched the show, she sort of had this sort of Mrs. Robinson thing going. And now that I'm actually just about the same age she is, it's less about Mrs. Robinson, and now it's just that I'm attracted to women my own age, so. And they're here 
in sunny death for a while. Wow, weird. I didn't even think about that before it was out there. Wow. Well, anyway, so I guess to actually start fucking talking about this episode, though. There are a lot of badass episodes from season three. As a matter of fact, I'm at a real loss to think of anything from the third season of Buffy that isn't awesome. But, I'm, you know what, maybe there is one and I'm just blanking on it. But I'm, I cannot think of one off the top of my head. But this one actually stands out. As I've said in previous episodes, I love stories like this that take place all in one day or one night or whatever. And this is one of those. But what I like about it is the fact that this sort of twists the stereotypical Buffy formula. Usually, and this is true, I think, of a lot of writing and television, usually the way that it works is you have a... Okay, your A-plot is basically your big epic story. You know, this is basically the, the, the showdown between hero and villain. And then as your B-plot, you've got a sort of a, a, a character-driven kind of side story. And this sort of twists that a couple of different ways. First, the character-driven side story, that is the A-plot. And the B-plot is actually this existential crisis that all of creation is facing now. Where, basically, the Hellmouth is going to get opened and some serious fucking shit is about to happen. But that's the B-plot. And the other thing is that the A-plot, this character-driven piece isn't even Buffy's story. It's Xander's story. So it's a it's a twist a couple of different ways. But the biggest twist of all is the fact that, like I was saying before, Xander is the ultimate beta. You know, this is a guy that I dare not exaggerate. I don't think anybody truly looks up to Xander. You know, and this is a guy who's very well aware of his... I guess of his... Trying to think. I'm, I'm basically what I'm trying to do is trying to. I'm trying to think of a nice way to phrase this. Where, well, fuck it, whatever. Basically, his lot in life. You know, where does Xander fit in the pecking order? And the answer to that is actually pretty fucking low. And he he's aware of that. He but he's not okay with that. He wants to have some kind of a unique identity in the group. And this, like I say, I don't know if it's completely resolved by the end of the episode. But one of the things that this episode does accomplish is that we, we get to see life a little bit from Xander's point of view, you know, because he's always been this kind of funny side character, but he wasn't some somebody that the the story routinely followed, you know. And that, oddly enough, is one of the reasons why you could kind of believe that, you know, spending enough time together, Xander and Cordelia might actually kind of have a thing for each other after a while. Not so much because they have so much in common, but more because, you know, it's a it's maybe the ultimate case of opposites attract. But if you think of high school as being sort of a cast-oriented system where people never... It's a little bit of a taboo for people to violate the caste boundaries, you know? You don't try to move above your station, and it would be unseemly of you to try to move below it. The relationship between Xander and Cordelia, who have very different cast identities, <clears throat> it's doomed to failure. There's no way that they're going to have 
any kind of hope for success, like long-term success with one another. They're just too fucking different, you know? And nevertheless, that's going to be, when it inevitably fails, it's going to be something that Xander takes pretty fucking hard. You know, he doesn't fit in with the group, at least not as well as he'd like, and now he's lost, in some sense, the girl of his dreams, and so now what the fuck's he supposed to do? You know, this is a guy who's best friends with vampires, vampire slayers, witches, watchers, all this other shit. I mean, he knows some pretty fucking impressive people when you think about it, but there's nothing especially remarkable about... Xander, or so you think, watching this, you know, when this episode first, you know, first starts, and Xander casting about for some sort of an identity, he's settling on being the guy with the cool car, and it's not even his car, it's, 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 it's a car that he's borrowing from his uncle. I don't know why, but this, it just seems very believable to me. And here we get into, I guess, the beginning of Xander's adventure. He rear ends. <laughs> he rear ends Jack. This is great. And it's basically Xander now. Xander and Jack sort of in each other's face. And, of course, now it's, you know... After the commercial break, it's it's just to, just for... I'm not trying to give you an Arnold Schwarzenegger type of commentary here. I'm just trying to let you know what's on screen. That way you can be sure we're still in sync. It's basically Buffy and Willow in the library watching... Golly, what is... Of course, now I'm blanking on the guy's name. But whatever, the family guy guy, the werewolf. Bouncing around in the cage. And... This to me is, this is one of the things that I just kind of like about Buffy is that you could, you could go from serious to irreverent on a dime, you know, they're talking about really end of the world type of shit. And all of a sudden Giles kind of has a little bit of a hissy fit because somebody ate all of the jelly donuts. And the entire world rests on it. Did you eat all the jellies? Did you want a jelly? I always have a jelly. I'm always the one that says, let's have a jelly in the mix. We're sorry. Buffy had three. No matter. If Xander makes another run. No, Xander's out of this. He nearly got killed last time we fought. This whole thing will be easier if we know he's safe. Oh, gosh, Jack. I just, I, I love it. That's, that, that's just funny. And that's one of the running themes of this episode, you know, keeping Xander out of danger. And it just, I don't know, it just, it, it plays into, you know, the strengths and the themes of this episode. You know, Xander trying to find his own identity and, or not even, maybe not even trying to find his own identity, maybe trying to figure out what his identity has always been. And no one has ever really realized it. You know, maybe that's it. But in any case, basically Xander finds himself in in this situation here where he's being threatened with... The, Honestly, the least threatening school bully that I have ever seen. This is not a school bully that I would have taken seriously, like, at all, back when I was in school. You know, and 
I'm not just saying that because he's got the Van Dyke, you know, facial hair going. This guy, he just seems... Would that make you happy? I just, I would not respect somebody like this. I don't care how big that fucking knife is. I'd take that knife from him and stick it up his ass sideways. I, it's just, this guy is the least threatening, metrosexual, chest-shaving bully <laughs> that I have ever seen. I mean, I'm not saying that I could have done a better job at casting, but this is... I don't know. This is actually one of the few parts of the episode that it just doesn't really work for me. I mean, he's trying to be like this sociopath, and I just don't... I just don't buy it, you know? I mean, especially... And this is not to speak of the fact that I think Xander's got like two or three inches of height on him. What looks like a good 15, 20 pounds of weight. I mean, Xander would break this guy in half. You know, and it does actually kind of make me wonder who the fuck did casting on this episode. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to rip the shit out of it, but all this honestly just occurred to me. This is the le- the least convincing high school bully that I think I've ever seen. But one of the things to kind of get back into more complimentary territory, one of the things that sort of works for me about this episode is, <clears throat> you know, there is such a thing as you know universe building in fiction, and especially in this type of fiction where the all of the characters you know whether their main characters supporting characters side characters extras everybody lives in this weird sort of fucked up universe that they all sort of recognize and just implicitly and explicitly accept and a good example of what i mean is actually superhero fiction right The Marvel Universe is filled to overflowing with superheroes, Norse gods, aliens from outer space, and all of this other stuff. The DC Universe is filled with aliens, with space cops, with masked vigilantes, and all this other stuff, right? And it's just a matter of day-to-day unremarkable reality, both for for the citizens of both the Marvel and the DC Universes, where none of them really talk about this you know it's not unusual for any of them to see people flying around or for or or to see lex Luthor driving this giant purple tank down main street and robbing banks and stuff like that or in the case of buffy it's this chick this blonde chick xander's car babe here she's freaked out not so much by the fact that this guy is performing like real magic but more that this guy is a fucking zombie and that's the part that just kind of freaks her out and it's just it's fucking creepy it's not unusual that somebody practices you know wizardry and sorcery and all of that kind of shit the freaky thing is that this guy's a zombie that's what she's afraid of but she's not necessarily afraid of the fact that this sort of thing is just sort of day-to-day reality in Sunnydale, right? That's one of the things that I that I like about about Buffy is that it would become more and more uh, horror movie as things went on. This kind of thing, like I say, it was just sort of day-to-day reality. And oh yeah, here we go. Here's another good bit. How long have been down? Eight months. I had to wait till the stars aligned. Oh, eight months. I got some catching up to do. Well, Walker, Texas Ranger. You been taping him? Ever yet? All right. We're gonna get the guys together. We're gonna party, man. This is gonna be a night to remember. Yeah! I'm sensing that. 
blood of the earth shall restore. Walker, Texas Ranger. <laughs> and that, and that, and that again, it's just you know the absurdity of you know this guy coming back from the dead, and the first thing that he thinks to ask about is Walker, Texas fucking Ranger, really. Anyway, and. I don't know. I mean, again, this just sort of feeds into this sort of inversion, the scene that we're watching right now, into the inversion that is this episode, where Giles is basically talking about this huge existential threat that's that's coming upon Sunnydale, the Hellmouth being opened, but this is the side story of this episode. <clears throat> and, God, I just love it. Love it, love it, love it. This... You know, Buffy is not my favorite TV show in the history of anything ever, always and forever, world without end, amen. But at the same time, this show, in general, I think, until the final season, which I, by the way, the final season of Buffy is the fifth season. I don't know if any of you knew that, but that is, in fact, the final season of Buffy. But up to the final season, you know, the fifth season... This was just a fairly consistent and entertaining show. I just happen to think that the third season is the best overall. And I just love this bit. <laughs> Xander and Giles. <laughs> different about this. Man, there's something in the air. Stench of death. Yeah, I think it's Bob. We may all be called upon to fight when it happens. When what happens, exactly? I better go. Um, hopefully we should have time to prepare. All we need is a few weeks. Tonight? Before sunrise. <laughs> That's what they said. Oh, I love it. <clears throat> anyway. Why did they do this? So. They were looking for Angel. Angel, why? This is actually, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. It's harder to comment upon the B plot, which is this, you know, the Hellmouth being opened, just because of the fact that it, in a weird kind of way, doesn't really matter to this episode. Which is, it's strange just to even say that out loud. Because if the Hellmouth is open, mankind is fucked. You hear me? Fucked. But that's just not the focus of this episode. I mean, we know that Buffy's going to save the day. She's going to get this fixed. And really what we're doing, in a weird kind of way, rather than just marking time as we go through the character bullshit of, of the episode so we can get back to the main action plot, here we're having to sort of twiddle our thumbs through the action plot so that we can get back to whatever's going on with Xander. And speaking of which, we get back here. And, <clears throat> you know, just apart from the fact that, you know, just how obnoxious these these guys are that uh, Jake, or sorry, Jack, why do I keep saying Jake? The Jack raised from the dead. You know, everybody has known these sort of just obnoxious frat boy types. You know, ev gotta get some beers, though. You know, like that kind. Xander is absolutely the fish out of water here that somehow ends up getting adopted by this gang of just fucking weirdos. It's also kind of... I mean, this guy, it's its kind of funny. He's not a good actor. These are not good lines, but somehow it's just fucking funny. I don't know why. <laughs> Love it. And now we start getting into some actual criminal activity that Xander is clearly not comfortable with. And 
Again, it just kind of points to the fact that Xander is the ultimate beta. He just sort of goes along with this. He or or when he resists, he resists in the most passive way possible, you know? He doesn't actively try to stop these guys from destroying the store and in in stealing the ingredients to make a bomb. But he doesn't actually join in on their cause either. He kind of has this sort of wuss middle ground that he tries to <clears throat> that he tries to follow in just abandoning them, you know? And I don't know, that's a pretty good uh, a pretty good representation of this character. I mean, I find that very easy to believe, but this is also part of what Xander's up against in that he's kind of a middle-of-the-road guy. He doesn't want to stand out. He doesn't want to take an active hand. He doesn't want to put himself out there. On the one hand. On the other hand, he then laments the fact that he doesn't really have a unique identity in the group, and it's because, again, he doesn't want to put put himself out there. He doesn't want to take an active hand, so on and so forth, right? And, you know, I don't know if the character ever really... I don't know if he ever comments upon or accepts that his passive nature is the real reason that he doesn't... <clears throat> he doesn't have as, as strong an identity in the group as he thinks he should... And I want to be in the gang, sure. A gang initiation. And again, you know what? That's something else. I mean, in Sunnydale, you could actually kind of picture the idea that, you know what? There may actually be a teenage street gang where death is the initiation. And the way that you are actually inducted into the gang is they kill you and then they raise you. And that is kind of easy to believe, actually. What? So. You too good to be dead? You got a problem with dead people? What about Jack? Jack's not dead. And of course now Xander is just scared out of his mind. Again, not willing to take an active hand. And maybe that's the real triumph of this episode. That, you know, Xander has to be, has to learn to be less passive maybe not in life but at least to make it through this episode in one piece he can't be the the sitting on the bench guy anymore you know he's actually got to do something and so what we see here is again he's running but at least now he's taking active steps to save his own ass which that's kind of worth something and one of the things I'll say is that Sunnydale, as a town, it has a very backlot kind of look to it. This is not the most backlot TV show that I've ever seen. That honor may actually belong to Lois and Clark. Well, I say that, though. I mean, Gilmore Girls... Gilmore Girls looked pretty fucking backlot at times. You know, that sort of generic nothing look, you know? And it's... Anyway, but, yeah, the, uh... The fact is, Sunnydale definitely... Ooh, and hello. Here we... Now, now we've got Faith. And this is actually something about about Faith as a Slayer that actually... That I've always kind of liked. Is that... You know, this may be sacrilege for some of you. But Faith just... And by this, I mean Eliza Dushku. Just does the martial arts stuff a little bit better than... Than uh, Buffy. You know, I, basically, Sarah Michelle Gellar and her stunt double, believe it or not... I, they just have this really weird fucked up 
and I'm just going to say it, wrong form and balance to all of their moves. And so as a result, all of Buffy's, you know, as a character, all of Buffy's, you know, fights and her moves and stuff, they just they just look off balance. They look bad. You know, it, it this is not the way that you do this stuff. And now Faith is taking off her gear. And this is, you know, if, if Xander's evening wasn't already pretty weird, now it gets fucking weird. You know, because uh, Faith... Well, I'm just going to put it out there. He and, he and Faith, they do the hibbity-dibbity. Like and there's actually some character shit going on here that relates to Faith. That, you know, for Xander, this really was a kind of big and momentous thing. For Faith, I mean, she sort of just did this on a whim, you know? And it works in this episode. It's kind of a funny moment because all of this crazy, weird shit that's happening to Xander all in one night. I mean, this is just a fucked up night for him already. For Faith, this is not a fucked up night. For her, this is Tuesday, you know? And that actually speaks to her character, and that becomes a major issue in, in, a, in a future episode, just Faith's instability. And... Anyway, so some big shit comes out of this is really what I'm saying. So you wouldn't think so just to watch this here. You know, here it's just part of the over over the top weirdness that's happening, you know, with this with this episode. But anyway. So Man, and this I gotta tell you, dude, this has gotta be Eliza Dushku's uh, <laughs> like her golden age. I don't know if she'd ever been this hot before. I haven't seen her in anything that was made before. Uh, Buffy season three, but certainly after season three, she just wasn't quite as hot. And I don't know, this is definitely her high point right here. So anyway, this is just funny. I like this, you know, Xander goes from raising the dead to robbing a hardware store to running away from maniacs to uh, saving Faith from a demon to fucking Faith to getting kicked out of Faith's apartment and this is just this is great. I love it. Ah, and now we now we're back in the library. Oz, that's the I remember now. Oz. So Oz is pretty much going in his werewolf form. He's pretty much going totally friggin' crazy here. And Willow has to trank him. And that's how just fucked up things are getting here. They've got to move Oz because the library is positioned right over the hellmouth. And the fact that it's opening is kind of freaking Oz out. And so they've got to move them. And, you know, I don't know. I just, I like that. It's a neat little moment there. So Xander getting back to normal. You know, coming down from having fucked Faith. And now he's starting to just kind of think about, you know what? All this stuff that the guys stole, this is what you'd use to make a bomb. So that raises the question of just what the fuck are they getting ready to blow up here? And there's on, only one way to find out for sure. And this is Xander kind of rounding a corner. Rather than going to Buffy with this, rather than calling the cops, rather than doing anything, he decides, you know what? I'm taking action on this. I'm going to get some answers here. I'm going to put a stop to this. 
And this is a, a, a crucial moment for Xander that, you know, he doesn't have anyone else to depend on. He's got to do this now himself. And again, it's Angel and Buffy. They're having this big melodramatic scene with one another, and it's completely fucking irrelevant to this episode. <laughs> I love this. This is good. Oh, and that, and that's something else. I mean, another thing that works for season three is that, you know, in a weird kind of way, this is probably the most status quo. And that, you know, there's this tension now between Buffy and Angel. They love each other, but it's the forbidden fruit. They can't be with one another. And, you know, the, just what that is doing to them as a couple. But he's still a day-to-day -day reality in Sunnydale, you know. And this is just a really cool sort of status quo type of season thing. And now we've got Xander. He's coming to... He's trying to get help from Buffy, but he realized, you know what? Now is not the time. I'm going to have to handle this. It's on my own. So, can I help? Okay. <laughs> okay, I can work this out. Yeah, of course I you just can, buddy. Out what they'd be likely to bomb. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, the answer to that really should be obvious. If you think about it, you know, a bunch of juvenile delinquents, what the fuck are they going to bomb? But, you know, Xander, like I say, he's got to figure all that out for himself. So anyway, this, you know, we're starting to build now somewhat towards the uh, the uh, conclusion of all of this. We've got about, I'm guessing, uh, probably about 10 more episodes or sorry, 10 more, sorry, 10 more minutes in this episode. And... It's kind of funny to think about it, you know, in a in a conventional Buffy episode, we would probably be in the big action-packed climax right now, you know, the big finale, or it would be minutes away from starting. But here's the thing: the big action-packed finale isn't the Hellmouth opening, and it's not really going to center around Buffy. And again, you know, one of the things about this that just the reason this is sort of a believable thing, the reason that this is kind of enjoyable, is the fact that this is gonna be large. <laughs> it's an inversion of the conventional uh, Buffy episode, you know, the conventional Buffy story. But it centers on just such this fucking doofus. And it's not that he has to save the world. Xander's victory is is smaller and it's more personal but in its own way it's just as powerful to him as Buffy's victory is to her and you know this is a little bit of strong arming that we don't customarily associate with Xander you know him being so strong willed oh this is a funny little moment right here in the boiler room. All right. Now I'm going to ask you this once. Okay, you better pray you get the answer. Right. Okay, okay. How do I defeat you? No! I love it. That's... <laughs> this is funny. And now we're in the, the big action-packed showdown, you know? And... 
now we're we're basically cutting now between this like I say this huge demonic existential threat that is it's gonna destroy the whole world and this is intercut oh hello yeah if, if you look closely in in the reflection in the in the door here the the glass you can actually see the camera there so anyway whatever you think that's worth but yeah so I just I love this that you know Xander's victory he's playing for smaller stakes against less powerful adversaries but in its own way Xander's victory is just as important as as Buffy's in that he's there's a certain amount of agency and enfranchisement that he isn't being given he's forcibly taken through his own strength of character now you know and this is what Xander at his best is capable of accomplishing if he just believes in himself and I you know I think that's kind of an affirming message really for anybody you know so anyway like I say he's he's not just the funny guy he can actually he can in fact contribute something he is capable of of achieving you know and that's that's just really helpful so anyway and I wasn't finished note to self let's talk <laughs> yeah well there's that <laughs> oh this is good They're getting chased now by the by the demons. Oh, I just love this. Jack's gang is getting systematically destroyed. Whether it's by Xander, whether it's by the demons. <laughs> oh, this is good. Okay. Boiler room. Hello, eh? <laughs> so, here we are. The big climax. This is basically Xander, in a weird kind of way, establishing his own dominance over Jack, which at the beginning of the episode would have been unthinkable. Now it is inevitable. And the simple fact of the matter is that... I guess at his core, you know, his, his zen energy, his key, you know, whatever you want to call it, Xander is just fundamentally stronger than Jack is. Maybe not physically, which, again, is kind of hard to believe, considering this guy is sort of a chest-saving, metrosexual, just fucking hipster. I, I'm sorry, I cannot take this guy seriously as a bully. I just, I, I can't. The facial hair, the bare chest, <laughs> just fucking weird dipshit douchebag fuck weasel haircut i mean what the fuck <laughs> whatever dude uh this is not somebody i would ever be afraid of i, like, I don't know about the rest of you i'd break this guy in fucking two. Oh my god i just I, i'm sorry I, I i can't take this guy seriously i can't believe xander would take this guy seriously but this is just a good little moment for xander then you'll die too yeah it looks like so i guess the question really is who has less fear I'm not afraid to die. I'm already dead. Yeah, but this is different. 
Being blowed up isn't walking around and drinking with your buddies dead. It's little bits being swept up by a janitor dead, and I don't think you're ready for that. Are you? I like the quiet. I just like that. That In that moment, you know that Xander's already won. Jack is going to back down. He doesn't have the balls to kill himself. It's, it's really as simple as that. And everything that we're seeing right now... I mean, they're playing the ultimate game of chicken, you know? But, actually, you know what? And there is a there is a degree to this threat that, actually, I only just now realized. Mankind is pretty much screwed unless Jack is a pussy. And, of course, he is. But if he'd blown up the school, he would have taken the Scoobies with him, and the Hellmouth would be open, and Mankind would be fucked. So, I guess in a weird kind of way... Xander, he's actually the one who truly saved the world just then. By basically having, I guess, more and bigger balls than Jack does. In a weird kind of way, he said that. Oh, I, <laughs> guys, this that may have been obvious to the rest of you. That truly only just occurred to me. <laughs> That's great. Wow. Okay. So this act, this episode is actually a lot more important than I thought it was. Wow. I had never made that connection before. I mean, it's embarrassing as all hell, but I can't really deny it that if I hadn't been sitting here talking about it, that truly never would have occurred to me. This is just a this is just kind of a neat moment. Okay. He was only out for a few minutes. Longest of my life. I'll never forget that thing's face. It's Real face, I mean. Yes. I don't know how you managed. It was the bravest thing I've ever seen. Stupidest. But the world continues to turn. No one will ever know how close it came to stopping. Never know what we did. Guys? And it's kind of funny that... Xander... And I mean this, and it's kind of ironic that the Scoobies don't know that Xander saved the world. And you know what? I don't think Xander knows either. I don't think he's made that connection that he actually... Yeah, they did the heavy lifting in terms of, in terms of actually defeating the monster and everything, but Xander enabled that. You know, he's talked Jack into disarming the bomb. Oh, this is great. Giving them lessons in lack of cool. What? 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 This is great. He just walks away. It's fucking great. And that's the Zeppo. Great episode, great show, fucking great season. I love this season. But anyway, that's pretty much it for me. I'll be right back after these messages.
Is your entire life populated with liars? Ever wondered if you're talking to somebody who's completely full of shit? Well then, have we got the app for you. Juked Micronics is proud to present the Lie Detector app. Yes, as seen on TV, the Juked Micronics Lie Detector app is here. And does it work? Bet your balls it works. All you have to do is turn on the Lie Detector app, hold your phone up to your Mark's mouth, and ask them to repeat their last statement. And within mere moments, the Juked Lie Detector app will tell you if your Mark fed you a line of total horse shit, or if they're telling you more truth than a 9-11 conspiracy video. The Juked Micronics Lie Detector app. Perfect for job interviews, Al-Qaeda terrorist interrogations, and double-checking your teenage daughter's alibi. The Lie Detector app. Now available from Juked Micronics. As superhero movies are becoming mainstream entertainment at theaters around the world, comic fans also have plenty of heroic action on the small screen to keep them sated while waiting for the next blockbuster. We are in a golden age of superhero television shows, with plenty of offerings from both the Marvel and DC universes, and the trend shows no sign of slowing down. To chronicle these recent shows and even examine some of the classics, we are proud to present Weekly Heroics, a two true freaks guide to heroes on TV. In every podcast, we'll be doing recaps of individual episodes of one Marvel show and one DC show until we catch up to them or some supervillains shut us all down. My name is Scott McGregor, and I'm the fastest podcaster alive. That's what she said. And I'm Chris Tyler, one of your agents of cool. To bring you this podcast, we each have to become someone else. We each have to become something else. Two, two, organization operating behind the scenes. Task Force X. Task Force X is an off-the-books government strike team made up of convicts with no hope for release, serving as expendable agents for impossible missions. Succeed, and I'll shave time off your sentences. If we don't. You'll be dead. Any other stupid questions? The Suicide Squad, ran by Amanda Waller. I'm Amanda Waller. I'm here to indoctrinate you convicts into our special forces. And there's Checkmate, ran by Harry Stein. This is the tales of DC Comics, Suicide Squad, and Checkmate. Mostly monthly from Headspeaks. Available on iTunes under Task Force X, and under Headcasts over at Headspeaks. Com. We can also be found on Facebook and Google Plus under Task Force X. Task Force X. Check it out. Or you'll answer to the wall. Nobody screws the wall!
Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trentusmagnus at gmail.com. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promo section. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes. And you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with DeMonzacore of Milan, Italy. <laughs>